You know, no matter how we walk in here this morning, uh, whether you are all in on this following Jesus thing or whether you're not quite sure about it, I believe that God has something to say to us this morning through his word. And so in just a couple of minutes, we are going to open up uh, God's word together. We're going to open up the Bible and we are going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have a copy of God's word, if you have a copy of the Bible, you can pull that out. Or if you have it on your phone or something, you can get ready. Uh, if you are looking and you're not sure where it is, you go to the table of contents, look in the New Testament list, look down towards the end, you work backwards you have Revelation and Jude and 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st, 2nd Peter, and then Hebrews is right after James, or right before James in that list, you can find it. So look at the bottom of that list and work your way up, you'll find Hebrews, and you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11. We're starting a new series this morning, and we're calling it Ancient Families, Modern Problems. And what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to look at some of the families in the Bible, some of the families that are there, and some of these people and some of these families, if you've been in church world for a while, you've heard of these people, and you may have even heard some of their big stories, but there are some things that have happened in their families that those stories don't get told many times. Uh, they're not the pretty stories. They're the stories that get left out of your children's Bible uh, when you're reading through it. And when you start to look at some of the families that lived 2,000 years ago and 3,000 years ago, one thing that you find is that the problems families face have not changed that much in thousands of years. And so we're going to look at those things, and we're going to ask a couple of questions, not only about the family you have today, but also the family that you came from, and we'll talk about those things together. So this morning, I have the privilege of starting this series off with you as we get started in looking at some of the families that lived a long time ago and the things they walked through and some of the things we walked through as we grew up and are still walking through today. Growing up, I played Little League. And every summer, every spring, something would happen that I knew was coming. I knew it was going to happen, and I never liked walking through this process uh, but I knew that it was coming, and, and whether you played sports or not, my guess is some place in your life, some avenue of your life, whether it's your job today or whether it was in, in academics, you've had something like this happen. I can tell you what happened every single spring of my life. Every single spring, the Millard Athletic Association that I played baseball for there in Omaha, Nebraska, uh, we had tryouts. And every week, every year, I would go to tryouts, and I felt like saying to the coach, Right off the bat, I felt I wanted to walk up to the manager and just say to him, listen, I can tell you what's going to happen already. And I'd love to spare us a, a lot, a long season of disappointment. So let, I just want to get this out of the way. I want to tell you what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. I was often at, at practice when I was growing up, I was usually one of the bigger kids. I was taller than everybody else and I was, I was a bigger kid uh, than uh, everyone else. And so if I made contact with the baseball, the baseball went a long way. And here's what I just wanted to tell the manager was going to happen every single uh, year. I wanted to say to him, listen, you're going to have tryouts. And at tryouts, you or one of the other adults is just going to lob the ball in because you want to see how hard we can hit it. It's in a, you're going to pitch it in. It's batting practice. You just want to see who can hit the ball. And so you're going to lob it in nice and easy. You're going to toss it in. And I'm going to hit it. And the ball's going to go a long way. And you're going to say to yourself, we found our hitter. 
This is the kid we've been looking for. Because I was, I was usually bigger than the other kids. If I could just make contact, the ball would go a long way. And, and I knew that in practice, I was going to make contact almost every single time. But here's what I wanted to say to him. Now, then we're going to have a game. Okay? I'm going to, you're going to toss it up and I'm going to crush the ball. Then we're going to have a game. And in a game, it's a little bit different because now there's another person on the mound and he's not, he's not like tossing it up so we all make contact. He's going to do everything he can to throw that ball as hard as he can and make sure that I don't hit it. And I can promise you in that first game, you're going to slot me in the four hole. This happened every single year to me. You're going to make me the cleanup hitter because you saw what I could do in practice. And then we're going to get in the game and I'm going to go oh for however many times I get up to the plate. And then we're going to go back to practice. I'm going to crush the ball again. And then we'll have the second game and I'll be the four hitter. And then I'll go oh for however many times I get up to the plate. And after about the fifth game or the sixth game, you'll, you'll announce the roster and I'll be like the sixth hitter. And then I'll be the seventh, eighth. And by the end of the season, I'm going to end up the ninth hitter or on the bench. So let's just start there after tryouts. Let's just do that. And I walk into it, and I felt like what the coach was saying to me every year was, you're our guy after practice. And I would look back, and I would say, no, I'm not. (laughs) And I bet you've had that happen to you, haven't you? You know what it's like to have teams drawn up or the manager picking out the people that they want on their team and work. You know what it's like to stand up against that cinder block wall in gym class and know you're going to be there for a while. You know what it's like to have the, the management draw up teams at work and know that for this particular project, you might be the person that nobody really wants on their team. You know what it's like to get assigned something and just say, I'm not up to the task. I don't feel up to that thing. I'm the wrong person for this job. We've all been there. We know what that feels like. And the question I want you to think about this morning is this. You know, for those of us who believe God exists, for those of us who follow Jesus Christ, one of the things that we know is true is that when God chooses to work, when God chooses to move, he often does it through people. That God chooses out people and he decides that to work, to do his work through a person or through a group of people. And the question I want you to think about this morning, I want us to think about together, is how does God choose those people? Because for many of us, when it's time for, when we hear somebody say, God's looking for somebody to do something for him, God's looking for someone to work through, we go back to feeling exactly the way we did when we stood up against the cinder block wall in gym class, or the way I did at baseball tryouts every year, or the way that we feel like in our work situation, or wherever else it is, in school, and class, uh, when academic teams are drawn up, and we know we're not good enough for whatever it is, we feel, have that same feeling inside of us when someone tells us God's looking for someone to use, God wants to work through you, God wants to do something great through you, we look back at that person and we say, well, not me. I'm not the person that God's looking for. Uh, God's looking for somebody, I agree with you, but that's not me. I'm going to stay, and here in this room we have the cinder block wall, I'm going to stay up against the cinder block wall and I know I'm going to be the last one God would choose. So I just won't enter the game. And I I want you to think about this morning. How does God choose people that he works through? How does he pick? 
You see, I think when we think about this question and we think about, you know, God works through people. We, we, we know that if we've been in church for a while, we've read the stories maybe in, in the Bible or we've heard someone talk about them. God chooses people. He works through them. How does God decide who he's going to use? I think that most of us, when we think about that question, we make two assumptions. We make two assumptions about who God would choose when he looks down at six billion people and can choose whoever he wants to work through, we make assumptions, two assumptions about who God would choose to work through. And the first assumption that you and I often make is that if God's going to choose, he's going to choose the perfect people that come from perfect situations. That if God's going to choose someone to work through, he's going to choose the perfect people. The perfect people that come from perfect situations. That's who God would choose. And we feel like, we feel like we know people who are in, who are those people. In fact, there's certain people that we look at their social media pages and we look at their lives and we're like, yeah, those are those people. We know some people that when we look at their social media pages, we say, yeah, those are the perfect people that come from perfect situations. And if God was going to pick someone to choose, to use, he would pick that person because they have it all together. And they just seem to have the perfect life. And so God would choose them. And every church community, no matter how big or how small, every congregation has a perfect church people in it. You know the perfect church people? These are the people that walk into church on a Sunday morning and you look at them and you say to yourself, oh, if only our family could look like that. Or if only I had that situation. They walk into church on a Sunday morning and it just, you watch them across the hallway or you watch them across the sanctuary and you say to yourself, you see, now there's a perfect situation. There's a group of people that have it all together. And you can see in your head that they got up this morning and no one fought with each other. Everyone got up when they were supposed to and everyone got themselves dressed and they walked down to the table and the food was there. And the kid said something like, Dad, would you please pass me the free-range scrambled eggs? And he said, sure, son. He said, would you also like some of the non-GMO organic granola that we have here available on the table? And they walk into church, and you look at that, that group of people, and it looks like the J. Crew catalog came to life. And they walk in, and they just, everything is just all together. And you know they didn't fight with each other over music or the directions they took to church that morning. Everything was great. And they walked into the room and they just have it all together. And you look back at your kids and there's stains everywhere. And you can't even believe that they're dressed. And you walk in and the people, they have everything right to say. They walk in the building and someone tells them that they're stressed out. And they say, you just got to let go and let God. And then people walk in and they're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. And they say, I'll tell you what, where God guides, God provides. And when they pray, when they pray, everyone just starts, starts making noises uh, instantly. They say, dear Lord. And the whole room goes, oh, mm, cause they're the church people and they have it all together. And we say, if God's going to choose to work through somebody, he's going to choose those people. The people that always have a smile on their face, the people that have it all together, the people who play the part and look a certain way. If God was going to pick somebody, he would pick those people to work through. He wouldn't pick me. And you know why he wouldn't pick me? It's because of the, the second assumption that we make. 
And this has a lot to do with where we come from and where we are today. My past and present are imperfect, we, assume, we say. Therefore, I'm disqualified. And these are the two assumptions that we make. If God's picking people to work through, if God was picking people to work through, he would pick the perfect people that come from perfect situations. And I know my past and my present. So no matter what, what uh, thing I portray on social media, no matter what I portray when I walk into church, no matter how dressed up and smiley we get so that when we walk into the church building, people think we have it all together. I know the real me. And I know that if people could open up, pull, peel back those, those Facebook p- pictures and peel back all my social media pages, and if people could walk through our front door and see the real us, that they would know what I already know. And that is where I came from. The family I came from is imperfect. The family we all came from, the past that we have, I don't know what your story is. I don't know where you came from. I don't know if you were adopted, if you didn't know both your parents, if your parents were good parents, if they were bad parents, if the family was easy, if it was a very difficult upbringing. I don't know the whole situation, but I can promise you it was not perfect. And all of us look at our current situation and we say, Pastor, if, if you just knew... If you knew the real story, if you knew that, that I've, I've been divorced, if you knew that I cheated on my spouse, if you knew that my spouse cheated on me, if you knew that our kids never listened to us and some of them have walked away from Jesus and it's killing us inside, if you knew the real story, if you knew what was going on behind the closed door of our home, if you knew how lonely I was because I'm alone and I don't want to be, if you knew how lonely we were because we don't have kids and all we want is kids, if you knew the real story, and how, just how imperfect our situation is, and how difficult our situation is, and how messed up our situation is, then you would believe this assumption about us too. And this is how we think. When God's choosing people, we say to ourselves, you know what, the families we came from, the families we have, have a big impact on whether or not God would choose us. And most of us, we think to ourselves, you know, God, if he's going to use somebody, he's going to use the perfect people. He's going to use the people that have it all together. He's going to use the people that, that know what to do. And so the perfect people get used, but me, I'm not perfect. I'm imperfect. That family I came from was a mess. The family I have now, it's, it's all right, but but it's, it's not the way that I thought it would look or that it should work. And we have our own difficulties and it's all imperfect. Therefore, I can tell you, Pastor, when God's looking for people, he's not going to call me off the wall. I'm going to stand there for a while. And we might say, you know, I'm in church. I come to church just because everything is so imperfect. I'm just trying to get on God's good side. I'm not trying to be the one that God would use. I'm not trying to be the one that God would work through. All I want is to be around those people and to try to come to church and get on God's good side so that that he might just love me and like me a little bit more. But the reality is everywhere I came from is messed up. Everywhere I am is messed up. And so God would never work through me or use me. The thing I want you to think about for the next few moments is are we right in those assumptions? I think many of us do come to our relationship with God and we're like, listen, I'm glad God loves me even though I'm imperfect. I'm glad God loves me even though I'm a sinner. I'm glad God loves me even though my past is a mess and my present is a mess. But God would never use me because of all of those things. Is that true? 
every, uh, every major sport, uh, some different disciplines, they have what they call a hall of fame. And maybe some of you have been to a hall of fame. There are many hall of fames across our country. And who gets in the hall of fame? The people that get in the hall of fame are the best at what they do. The people that get into the hall of fame are, are the best at their craft, right? They, they've played the best. They've, they've done the best work. They've excelled in their field. And so those people are the ones who get voted into the hall of fame. Did you know that in the Bible, there is listed, there is a hall of fame in the Bible. There is a chapter in the Bible in which the best of the best, the people that God used the most, the people that God worked through the most, the people that God did his best work through are all listed in one short chapter. And in that chapter, what we have really is the hall of fame of everyone uh, that God has worked through in big ways in his word. And we're going to take a look at that in a couple of minutes. And if you look at that Hebrews chapter 11, we're not going to look at the whole thing. We're not going to read the whole thing right now. But if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, you'll see a lot of names listed in that chapter that are the usual suspects. That even if you never went to church, you may have heard of some of these people. These are the big names, the people that God worked through. And we would think that these are the perfect people. That if these are the people that God used to do great things, that these are the perfect people. These are the ones who came from the perfect families and have the perfect families. But what I want us to do for the next few moments is I want us to take a closer look at just a couple of the people listed. Here's six of the perfect people that are listed in Hebrews chapter 11. The people that God worked through and did amazing things through. There's more names listed than just these, but for time's sake, we'll just go through six. Abraham is listed in that chapter. If you know anything about Abraham, Abraham is the, is the father of God's people. He's the one that was willing to listen to God and go to a land. God said, you start walking, Abraham, I'll tell you when you get there. And Abraham did it. He's the one that was willing to take his only son and he was willing to sacrifice him on a mountain if God wanted him to because he had that much faith in God. And God stopped him from doing it, but he was willing to if God wanted him to. But do you know what happened before Abraham had that son? You know, God had promised Abraham and his wife, Sarah, that they were going to have a child, that they were going to have an heir. But they kept celebrating birthdays, and they noticed that as they were celebrating birthdays and getting older, they still did not have a child. And even though God had told them that eventually they would have a child, they finally got together and they said, you know what, we're not quite sure why this hasn't happened yet, and I don't know if God knows how biology works, but eventually we're not going to be able to have a child. So they hatched a plan where Sarah said to Abraham, why don't you go ahead and you have a relationship with my servant, and who knows whether or not the servant girl wanted to be in on this at all, and she'll carry your child, and then she'll have the child, and then we'll have uh, an heir for our family. And so where God had promised something, Abraham and Sarah stepped in and they, they broke their marital vows. They did something that God told them not to do. They had a child that they should have never had. And that caused a lot of problems in Abraham's life. But Abraham's a hall of famer. You know Noah, right? Noah built the ark. 
The animals came in two by two. You, if you were in Sunday school, you sang the song, the Lord told Noah to build him an arky arky. You know the song? After 40 days and 40 nights of rain, Noah drifts for a while. The boat lands on a mountain. Noah gets out. He builds an altar and worships God. He sees the rainbow, hears God's promise. Does anyone know what Noah does next? He gets drunk. That's right. That verse doesn't make the kids song. (laughs) Noah had enough of being on that boat and with all those animals. And not only does he get drunk, but his sons walk in on him. And I'm not going to go into it, but it's not a pretty situation at all. And this is after the ark, after the rainbow, after the covenant. Noah makes this big mistake. He's a hall of famer. Jacob, Jacob was the younger of two sons. His older son was named Esau. And every Israel, fa- Israel family, the oldest su- Israelite family, the oldest son got the blessing. Jacob's father was old and frail and blind. And he conspired with his mom, Isaac, his father's loving wife, to trick his father and steal what was rightfully his brother's. And he took everything that his brother had. And he got the money, and he got the good family, and he got everything that was rightfully his brother's, and he stole it out from under him. And he made the God's Hall of Fame. David, if you know David's story, David killed Goliath. He was a great hero among the people, a great king of the Israelites. But David's story is filled with things like adultery and murder and sexual assault among his kids and incest. And his own son tried to kill him and take his throne. But he makes the Hall of Fame. Samuel was a great prophet used by God to anoint King Saul and to anoint King David. But Samuel was not a good father. And his sons brought great dishonor to the temple and great dishonor to the Lord. And Rahab, there's only one word that always goes with Rahab whenever she's mentioned in the Old Testament and the New Testament. She was used greatly by God to protect God's people in the Old Testament. But what's the word that's always used to describe Rahab? Does anyone know? Prostitute. Prostitute. Hall of Fame. So here's the question we're left with. If we walk into church and we say, listen, if God was going to work and God was going to move, he'd choose to move to the perfect people who have their act all together. And I'm an imperfect person. My past is a mess and my present is a mess. And so I'm disqualified from the work that God would want to do. How do we reconcile those assumptions with God's list that he provides in his word of the people that were used greatly for him when they all have these issues, not only in the families they came from, but in the families they had when God was doing his work? How do we reconcile that all together? I want you to know this morning that being used by God and having God work through you to accomplish something great has nothing to do with how perfect you are, how perfect the family you came from was, or how perfect your family is right now today. God's ability to use you and God's ability to work through you has nothing to do with how flawless you are right now or how flawless your family was that you came from. It could be a mess. It could be completely imperfect where you came from and where you are today. That has no bearing on whether or not God can use you and God can work through you. Because how God chooses people to work through has much less to do with how perfect they are and much more to do with something else. And in this chapter of Hebrews 11, verse 6, 
we read exactly what it is that God looks for. In verse 6, this is what, a, what the author writes. Without faith, not perfection, not being flawless. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And he rewards those who seek him. How do we please God? How do we get picked by God? How do we, are we used by God? It doesn't have anything to do with being perfect. It doesn't have anything to do with being flawless. But it has a lot to do with faith. And what is faith? The author tells us in the first verse of this chapter. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. Faith is believing God at his promises and believing God at his word. Faith is being willing to live with the end in sight. To know that God's plan is best, and no matter what happens today or no matter what happened in my past, God has a future and a plan that is best for me and for my family. And so even though I'm not sure how it's going to work out today, I'm going to have faith in him, I'm going to trust him, and I'm going to follow him as if that plan is real. The truth is, is that when God chooses who he's going to work through and who he's going to use for his glory and to do great things on this earth, he is not looking for people who are flawless. He's not looking for people who are perfect because those people don't exist. There's only one person who was perfect and only one person who was flawless on this earth and his name was Jesus Christ and none of us are him. And so all of us live these imperfect lives. We've come from an imperfect place. Things are not perfect now. And so when God chooses to use people. He is not looking for the flawless, but he is looking for the faithful. He is looking for the faithful. He is looking for those who will be willing to trust him today, right now where you're at. He's looking for you who will be willing to believe in him and trust him that if you'll do what he says and and live the way that he's calling you to live, that he has a great plan for you, that he will work through you, and that he will use you for his glory. That's who he's looking for. Before I was working full-time at the church here, I was an account executive with a company, and I had a sales manager, and her name was Kathy. And she knew that that, uh, I was going to seminary and that I was planning to be a pastor. And we used to have a number of conversations, because she had had a tough time with church, and in fact had chosen to leave the church in her early 20s. And so we always had these conversations, because she was very intrigued that I was still interested in being a part of the church and intrigued that I would choose to go to seminary. We had a lot of good talks. And one time she said to me, she said to me, you know, when I was growing up, my family and I, we actually lived next door to a pastor. We lived next door to a pastor and his family. And you know what we found out? That family fought just as much as our family did. That family had all sorts of problems. They had all sorts of troubles in their house. And all I could say back to her was this very principle. I know. None of us are perfect. And God's not looking for the flawless people because they don't exist. But God is looking for the faithful people. And I can promise you that in the midst of the difficulties, if that pastor and his family were faithful to God, God used them for his glory. I was at a conference a few uh, years ago. 
And uh, Charles Swindoll was the speaker. And if you're a, a church person, you probably know that name. If you're not a church person, uh, he's written approximately a, a, a million books. And he speaks everywhere. He's been the president of some pretty prestigious seminaries. And so Chuck Swindoll was on the stage. I call him Chuck. Chuck Swindoll was on the stage. And, uh, and he was sharing with the people that were in the room what he learned about ministry in, in 50 years of ministry, he said. And one of the things that he said he learned is that it is hardest at home. No matter what he did at the church, no matter what he did in seminary, no matter how many books he wrote and how many times he hit the New York Times bestseller list, he said, what I've learned in ministry, what I've learned in following God is it is always hardest at home. He said, my kids have listened to thousands of my sermons and never once have I come off the stage and my kids have said to me, oh, father, thank you for that great sermon from God's word. He said, every time I come off the stage, my kids look at me and say, Dad, your fly was down. (laughs) None of us have the perfect situation. It's not about creating the perfect situation under our own power. I'm thankful for this. Everyone in ministry is thankful for this. This week... I said things to my wife I shouldn't have said. I've said things to my kids I shouldn't have said. I got angry when I shouldn't have gotten angry. I've had to ask God forgiveness. I've had to ask them forgiveness. And guess what? It'll may it probably happen this week too. Not because I want it to happen, not because I'm not working on it, but I'm an imperfect person. And every person is. And so what we do then is we make the mistake of thinking that because I'm imperfect, that God's not going to use me or that God can't use me. Because of where I came from, you might say you don't understand just how messed up that situation was, how crazy the situation was that I was born into, how difficult it was, how abusive it was, how sad it was, and how it affects me to this day. You may not understand it, and you're right, I might not understand it, and I might not even understand how difficult it is today for you to go home after being in this room and go back to that situation that you're facing right now, whether it's because you're so lonely, you don't know what to do with yourself, or there's going to be a bunch of people waiting in that house that you're not even sure how you're going to get along with today. All I know is that God wants to work in and through you if you will be faithful to him. And it's not about figuring it all out and getting your life perfect and then coming to God and say, God, I'm ready to be used because that's never going to happen. It's about you being willing to trust him and be faithful and to follow what he has for your life, even in the midst of the difficult situation, even though the past is imperfect and even though the present is imperfect, trusting him and honoring him and being faithful and living the life that he's calling you to live, even though you're not sure how it's all going to turn out because you believe him and trust him at his word. So we could ask the question this morning, is your family you came from flawless? Is the family that you're a part of now flawless? We could ask that question, but it's the wrong question. Here's a better question. Are you being faithful today? Right now, think about your own life and your own circumstances. Are you being faithful to God in the midst of them? You want to be married someday, and right now you're dating someone, and the way that God would call you to live in that dating relationship looks so different than anybody else you know in this entire world. 
Everyone else is, is, is living together because it saves money on rent and because it's just easier. Are you being faithful to God in the midst of that relationship? Are you trusting him that he has something better for you? Right now, you're by yourself and you wish that you were with someone else. You, you maybe came out of a difficult relationship. Your family that you had fell apart and now you're by yourself and you just want more than anything else to be back in a family, to be back in a relationship. Are you being faithful to God in the midst of that place this morning? It's not perfect. I'm not asking you if it's perfect. I'm not asking you whether or not it's flawed. I'm asking you, are you being faithful to God in the midst of it? Are you having faith in that place? Listen, you've got, you've got a couple of kids. Both you and your spouse are working. Time is just crazy. Every time you blink, another week has gone by. Every time you look up, another year has gone by. You guys haven't connected relationally or emotionally in a long time. And it's just difficult. You're just getting through life. Every day you're getting through it. Every day you're just trying to survive. Every day you're just trying to get your kids to the 9,000 extracurricular activities they do. And just keep your head above water. And keep making money. And keep paying the bills. And keep having life go on. Are you being faithful to God in how you're living? Is God calling you to do something that you're not doing right now? You know, when you look down that, that, that passage in Hebrews chapter 11, and you look, there is a phrase that's before every single name. And it doesn't say, because he was perfect, God used Abraham. Because he was flawless, God used Noah. Because he had his whole act together, God used David. The phrase that is used over and over and over again is, by faith, Abraham followed God. By faith, Noah built the ark. By faith, David beat Goliath. By faith, Rahab welcomed the spies. By faith, by faith, by faith, God was able to use these people and work through these people. So I don't care really where you came from, and I don't care what the situation right now is if you would trust God and you would be faithful to him and serve him and honor him I promise you God will work through you and he will use you but if you keep sitting back because you're not perfect and life isn't perfect you're going to miss out so are you willing to trust God this morning Are you willing to be faithful to him? I'm going to invite our worship team back up as we close our service out this morning. And I would invite you, if you would, just to bow your head and close your eyes with me. And I just want you to be honest in your own heart this morning. I want you to think about this. And I want you to take a couple of minutes, if you would, and talk to God. I don't even know. You might be in this place and you're not even sure God exists. You might be in this place, and and I can appreciate this. You're a little angry today about where you've come from and what the situation is today. It doesn't look the way you wanted it to, and it doesn't look the way you thought it would. There's just one question that I want you to ask yourself honestly this morning. In the midst of where you've come from, in the midst of where you are, are you being faithful to God? Are you living with the end in sight? Are you confident in the things that you hope for? Are you confident in the things that you do not see? Do you believe God at his word when he says he's in control? Do you believe God at his word when he says he's leading and guiding you? 
Do you believe God at his word when he asks you to live a certain way in this life, to develop fruit by his Holy Spirit, to stand out from the crowd and to be different? Do you take him at his word? Are you being faithful today? Is God calling you to do something and you're not doing it just because you're scared of what might happen or what people around you might think? If you will trust God and honor him with your life and be faithful to him, God will move and work without faith. His word says it is impossible to please God. This is the whole of the gospel, that we will never please God by the works that we do. We can't do it. We're too imperfect. We're too flawless. That's why we needed the one, Jesus Christ, to come down and live a perfect and flawless life in our place, that we might be saved. And so are you willing to put your faith and your trust in him? If you do, he'll use you. He'll work through you no matter how imperfect life may seem. So God, I pray today that you would help us to trust you and honor you. God, I pray that you would help us to believe your word. God, the promise that when this life is over and this world is gone, that you win and that you are in control and that we are spending eternity with you, that the truth of that promise, that if we put our trust in Jesus Christ, that we would have new life both here today and for eternity, that those promises that you have given us, that we will live in faith based on those, not on our own emotions, not on what we read in the headlines today, not on what we, what we feel or what we think in the moment, but God, that we will trust you and your promises, that we will be faithful to you. And serve you and honor you. God, thank you that it doesn't matter how perfect we are, that your love is unconditional, that you love us in the middle of the mess. And God, help us to trust you. Jesus' name. Jesus name. Amen.